time, I really, really believe that God has something to say to us. You know, I'm always passionate about what I speak about. It's just who I am. And I tried to change it. I really did because I don't want to offend anybody. I'm a, I love people, and I want everybody to love me. And so I try to be nice and just and real laid back and, you know, just really quiet. But it just doesn't come out that way, and I want it to so badly. But, you know, you're not, you're going to be frustrated if you're not who you are and who God called you to be. Not who you called yourself to be, but who God made you to be. And I am um, I am really excited to share this word with you this morning. I always give a backstory. And um, my backstory is this. We began the year, and we knew a little before the beginning of the year that we were going to be talking about one word. And so each of us have chosen a word. And the first word that I got, I knew it wasn't my word for the year, but it was my word for the beginning of the year, and it was shift. And God so, so clearly spoke to my spirit that he was shifting us at the beginning of the year. Now, when God sovereignly does that, it doesn't mean that we're automatically shifted. We're not on autopilot. You know, you just have to decide if you're going to flow and move with the Spirit or not. And I decided in my heart that I mentally, emotionally, and spiritually had to shift. Sometimes we get caught up in a spiritual world where woo, woo, woo. We just got to get more out there. We got to get more in tune and we got to hear more words. And that's awesome. I hope you do. But we also have to have feet on the ground and we have to walk out what we hear. And so mentality is huge. What we think, we have to keep our head in the game you got to keep your head in the game. And I'm going to talk a little about that because I really believe that we can't, as we all have said so many times, you can't keep doing the same things, expecting different results. Nothing is going to change. And so we have to be willing to shift with the Spirit, shift our mindsets, old mindsets, and look at things differently. And here's what we usually do. We do that for about a week. Then we go back to the old because it's easier that's why we do that. I do it. We all do it. It takes courage to step out, out of the box, and not do what you've always done. If you want a different result, we've got to do that. And so I, uh, I knew that God was causing me to shift in my thought patterns. I didn't know that I would uh, encounter what we've encountered the last few weeks with my father. But that has so prepared me for where I have been the last few weeks. And my word, I didn't have it for a few weeks, a couple weeks at the beginning. Hannah even asked me, what was my word? And I, uh, I didn't have that word, but it came to me uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks now, I guess, about the third week of January. I knew I would have it by the end of January. But the word God put in my spirit so strongly is the word impact. Impact. So I saw what he was doing now. He was shifting me for impact so that I could be set up for impact. So I, uh, I talked to my dad. We had... Uh, we, I, uh, Wednesday of last week, we had a real crisis, and he was dying, and they didn't think I would make it by the time I got there, but when I got there, he rallied, and he wanted to talk to me, and so I got my recorder, my phone out, and I recorded, but he, at that point, was in such severe pain, he said, honey, I've already asked Randon. You know, he's my pastor. Y'all my first one. But I want to ask you too. But I don't want to do anything Jesus doesn't want me to do. But I want to ask y'all to please pray that I go on and be with Jesus. 
And I, he said, but I don't want to do anything I'm not supposed to do. And I said, Dad, are you afraid to die? And he said, absolutely not. It's not the dying I'm worried about. It's the have I lived my life in vain. I want to make sure he didn't know the word impact to use. I use that. But he said, I want to make sure that I have passed on every bit of the DNA that God has placed in me that you're supposed to have. And so later on, as we are in the hospital and he is uh, hurting so badly, he said, baby, I just, I, I, I just want y'all to pray. I said, Dad, here's what I believe. If God is keeping you here, then he is, he is making sure that we're maximizing the right timing. Everything has to be done to get the most impact out of your life. So evidently, there's some things left that you need to tell us. And there's some grandkids and some great-grandkids that God wants you to speak into. Maybe there's some nurses and doctors. I don't know. But I know God will take you and allow you to go with him at the most optimum time. And so he was very, very... Um, very good with that. He felt like that's what God was saying to him. So he said to me again, honey, I just want to make sure that my living is not in vain and that I have affected your generation and my grandkids and their kids' generation. And I'm saying to myself, mm, 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 I can't wait to get on my phone and look up impact. And you can't believe what it says. I'll tell you in just a minute. But this is what my dad said to me. This is his story. This was, um, he said, Renee, I said, Dad, tell me what is the most important thing for me to know? that I don't forget it. I, I want to know it. what is the most important thing for me to know. And he said, well, I want you to know my, that my favorite, my best, my most loved and cherished scriptures are two. One, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And I want you to, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, that is your, I didn't know that. But now I do because of where he came from. Where he came from, you had to go through a list of do's and don'ts to be saved. But he wants the world to know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved and your household can be saved. And then he said, but honey, what I want you to know is love everybody. Love everybody. Love every person. Love every color. Love every race. For God so loved the world. Love everybody. Now, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this story, he said, but I want to tell you this story. See, he said, when I was six years old in 1931, I've never heard this story my whole life. Never. 1931, he said, um, there was a, we were living on, on this little hill, and there's 12 of us in our family. We didn't have much to eat. We were very, very, very poor. He said, as poor as Job's turkey, whatever that is. And, uh, and he said, we were very poor. We had nothing, but my mom did everything she could. And God always seemed to give us something to eat. And he said, I was outside playing. And a little boy, a little black boy, came up close to the little fence line. And he wouldn't get close because that was in the days where that was not even allowed in 1931. And he said, but he came up and he said, I'm so hungry. We're so hungry. Have you got anything? And he said, I knew mother didn't have anything. And he, so he said, but I still had to go back and tell her. And he said immediately when I told her that his family was so hungry and this little boy had asked me, he said, she said immediately, son, go to the shed, get off the ladder, go into the loft and remove all the bush and all the brush, and under the brush, there's peanuts spread out all over the loft for next winter for you kids. But God will provide for us. Get the peanuts and take it to him. So he said, I knew that um, it was our food for the days to come. But my mother loved everybody. 
everybody. And so she said, she instilled in me a little Mississippi boy. Now, I didn't know this all this time. How did I know a little girl born and raised in Vicksburg, Mississippi, was going to marry a guy from, from Texas? And then we were going to be set down right in the middle of the Ku Klux Klan headquarters of Southeast Texas. And when we went there, there had never been an interracial church. There had never been any races coming together, Hispanic white, black, any kind, none. We were the very first church, and God called us to do that. But I thought all this time it was random. I just thought God did that and set me up in Vicksburg because I loved all people. I didn't know that my grandmother already had the DNA in her years ago. You're talking about impact. When you have impact, my friend, your life will affect multiple generations. That is impact. So I, my, my backstory, I, I just couldn't help but keep thinking about, okay, he's saying he's living. He doesn't want it to be in vain, and he wants his life to be impactful. And I know in my heart right now, more than anything in my life, I want my life to be impactful. I want to make sure that what I'm doing is the right thing at the right time so that I can have an effect and help change the course of people's lives because that's what it's all about. So I knew I had to reposition, and I knew that somewhere my thinking had to change. So this message, the rest of it is for me. Now, if y'all want to catch on and go with me, y'all can go with me. But I'm preaching to myself because I'm changing my thoughts. I'm changing my mindset. And this is some of the things I wrote down. What are you going to do with the time you have left? Because time's running out. It's time to utilize my energies Without, I have to utilize the energies I have and not waste time on fruitless things because I don't have any more life. I have to utilize the life God has spoken for me to have. And so God can redeem my time. But my moment in life, there's so many moments in life in the last year, 2017, that I have found myself so overwhelmed, so feeling useless, so feeling like I am not making a difference. Now, if you've never felt that way, bless your holy name. Aren't you awesome? I want to hug your neck and let that rub off on me. Now, I'm not a pitiful person. I know I've affected people's lives, but not in the capacity. It, I was in a place where the enemy was bombarding me because I was in a shift, a time of shifting, and I'm feeling pulled here and feeling pulled there. Has anybody ever felt that? Well, in that time, the pursuits, I, I just made up, a, a, made up my mind. I wasn't going to waste time on being overwhelmed anymore. But, you know, because I get overwhelmed by life, I get overwhelmed by people, I get overwhelmed by situations. And rightly so. I had a lot on my plate. And so I had, had me a good pity party in my, in my bathroom fixing my makeup, and nobody showed up for it. Nobody. I just had my own little pity party, didn't do a bit of good. But at the end of it, I did ask God to forgive me. But this is what I had to start realizing, that I've got seed in me. What kind of seed do I have in me? Am I having an impact with that seed? I don't have to accept the things the way they are. I don't have to settle, settle, settle. No, I do not, and no, I will not. I know that my best is yet to come. And this is what the Lord said to me. If you'll speak on uh, impact, I'm going to drive out depression. I'm going to drive out worthlessness out of this place today. I'm going to drive out insignificance. If you'll just talk about impact, if you'll share my word on impact, I'll do the rest. Because I have witnessed to the tenth power this last year, useless, not just in my own life, no, but in so many precious people's lives that have so much to give and so much greatness inside of them. But this is 
the moment that I am determined to live, uh, to live and to see the fullness of God. Now, this is something that kept coming back to me. Again, a part, a little bit of this backstory thing is I kept quoting this crazy poem that I learned in the eighth grade. And you, as you would have it, I have it in my purse, I think. I brought it with me. My mother, after all this time, she drags out, because we're going through their bills and their, all their stuff, and she drags out my report card for the eighth grade, and on it, and it was all A's, by the way, just saying. <laughs> just saying. And then she said, of course, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story, but uh, that was, uh, and so she's, up on, up on this, on this report card, is uh, it talks about my presentation. And that's after I'd already written these notes, and the presentation is about this poem by Rudyard Kipling. And it has, I haven't thought of it in 30 years. And all of a sudden, I'm going around the house saying, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you, y'all remember that, did y'all learn that poem? Of course, you, some of you did. Some of you didn't. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you and give an allowance for their doubting too. Y'all remember that? Okay, here's the rest of it. I'm reading it to you. No, it is not the Bible. It, it could maybe have been a part somewhere, but it isn't. But make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good or, walk, or uh, talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves or knives to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it all on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when, and so hold on <clears throat> when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes, nor if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none count too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And what is more, you'll be a man, my son. And I want to say, you'll be impactful, my son, if you can do all that. So this keep your head thing, has, has been in my paradigm. Renee, I have heard the word of the Lord over me that to put your helmet back on, get it out, get Ephesians back out, get the helmet of salvation, get your head back on. We always talk about, oh, it's your heart, you know, just go, just go what your heart says. Well, let me tell you, the word says your heart is deceitfully wicked, but your head is where your mind, it's where the battles are, it's where the thoughts come in, but it is where God establishes your safety. It's also the place where the anointing starts. It's at, on the head. And then if you get it on the head, it will roll down. And there will be cups that runs over if you can keep your head all about you. So I keep praying over my head. And then I remembered as they were talking to my dad and he had a, a stroke type in and I've been a pastor for quite a few years and I've heard this over and over. Now here's the deal, honey. Your heart, you can have a big heart. You can have a strong heart. But if you are brain dead, then you cannot save the heart. The heart cannot save the head, but the head can save the heart. Isn't that something? The brain can save that. And so you can still, you know, be going by your feelings and, you know, and I just love everybody. But if you're not following the word of God, because that is 
That is what keeps us alive and well. It is alive. It is a sword. It is two-edged. And so I am believing God that I am going, if I can keep my head intact and the helmet of salvation is upon me, the anointing of God will flow down and I will have impact. So now this is what I decided. Renee, you can't keep. And I want to say this, put your name in that blank. Blank, say your name. You can't keep running around everywhere. Every day, every day you get up, every day, and at the end of the day, where did the day go? At the end of the week, where did the week go? At the end of the month, where did the month go? At the end of the year, where did 2017 go? Oh, God, let us be accountable. And then it's, where did 10 years go in Sugarland? And then it's, oh, my God, look in the mirror. Where did my hair go? And then it is, where did her, you know, some people saying where your teeth go. I know where mine are, just saying. You know, so it goes. It just, oh, my goodness, you look back, and at some point, you can't keep doing that. All the sacrifice, all the expended energy, all the prayer, all the prayer, God, hear the cry. I want to have impact. Now, in every area of our lives, we want to have impact. So I want to give you some practical things for the next little bit. I want to give you the definition of impact. I think it is so uh, extremely um, it, it correlates with what God has said and, and, and to my spirit man, into what I am reading in the natural, and God has just brought them together. It's quite, an, quite a thing that I have seen happen this week. The definition of impact is this. The action of one object coming forcibly in contact with another. Forcibly and another object, this is just one definition. It can be a, 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 a smash, a collide, a hit, a strike, a ram, a knockout. But in all cases, it has permanent effect. Uh, an impact has permanent effect. Ha, uh, have an effect on someone. It says that it has an effect on someone or something permanently. An impact affects multiple generations. It's a permanent effect on or impression on for years to come. Impact tends to mean that something leaves a lasting impression. It's an interesting word because it's usually a metaphor as a crater is the impression left by the impact. Now, isn't it something that we chose that word to be in our mission statement? We had that mission statement last week. I don't know if you guys could find that real quickly, but I'd love to. It's to build a thriving, thriving network of believers who are discovering their divine destinies and making an impact on Southeast Texas, the Houston region, and the world. That's what the mission of this house is. So we want to know what it means to have an impact. Well, I in Mark, the ninth chapter, this is a very, very familiar verse that everyone knows, and it's this. Salt is good, but salt loses its flavor. Mark 9, 50. How will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Salt is very effective. It's not only effective as it tastes, as it deals with tasting, but it is also effective because, think about it. How many times have you put too much, ladies, of salt in there? I mean, you work so hard on that chili. Oh, my Lord. You work for hours on it, and then you got too much salt in it. It's like, yuck, throw it away because it has lost its savor. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. It, it sprinkled too much. It was over the top, and that is certainly the case in many cases with us, and we lose our impact. But also, it's a preservative. It stops deterioration. I just, just when I was reading that just now, I just heard the Spirit of the Lord say that some of you are in places, and God has put you there, places of impact that has stopped deterioration in those regions, in those areas, and in those jobs, and on the, in those companies where without you, it would have gone downhill. 
Don't ever underestimate the power of impact of salt and light. We are salt. Say, we are salt. Now, as leaders, we are all leaders. We are leaders in this house. If you're not leading anybody, then then you need to find a dog or somebody to follow you because you need to be leading somebody. But some people think leaders are leaders because they have a title. Titles have nothing to do with it. Leadership is a function. It has a functionality to it. It means, look, no, it's no more a title than if you call me a car. You can't drive me just because you call me a car. Because I've got to have functionality. I've got, if I'm going to lead, I've got to have function. So here's how do we know if we have impact. This is one of the most important things I'll tell you today because it's one of the things that I have seen the life drain out of so many people over the years, including myself at times. Because if you have impact, you, it has to be measurable, quantitable, measurements. You have to be able to measure your success, and that's the problem. We know how to measure our, our input. We know how to measure the expenses, and for businesses, they just did a cost analysis for years, but now that's all changed. And for the church, we got to change too. It's not just, oh my goodness, you know, uh, we don't have to worry about what's happened. Oh, yes, we do. For one thing, we need praise reports because there's something about praise reports that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Praise reports are huge, but even instruments that we use, quantifiable measurements that are going to give us the idea that, oh, okay, we did make some success there. We did have it. And there's a lot to it because here's what happens is we get the other part of it. We measure the expending. We measure the energy because we say, I'm tired. I'm so tired. I got up tired. I went to bed tired. My kids are driving me crazy. My church is driving me crazy. The teenagers drive me crazy. The telephones drive me crazy. You know, you know what you've expended. But do you know what impact looks like? Have you measured the success? So I started doing this. And I found out there's some distractions along the way. And there's some enemies of impact. And here's one of them. It's grabbing more than you can maintain. We call it biting off more than you can chew. My dad's favorite place to go is Golden Corral because it is, it, they are all privately owned, and you have never seen the like of a layout that they give as they give in Beaumont. Now, I'm not a buffet girl myself. I buffet my body, but it ain't with, you know, I, I'm not a buffet girl. I always think about how much they put left, you know, all that kind of stuff, and but my dad loves it. So we take him there, and it is good. But here's what he'll do. He will pile his plate full. I mean, of things he doesn't even like. <laughs> but they look good at the time because his emotion is making the choices. His head's out of the game way long ago. And now he is grabbing everything because, ooh, another reason. He may not be back. He may not be back next week, and he may decide three weeks from now that he wanted that taste of that. And if he don't get it now, then he may not get it. These are all the things. Now, you do your homework, and you do your parallel thinking there. That's kind of some of the things we do. We grab a, because bigger, more is better. All growth is not good. Did you know that? It isn't. So more is better is what we tell ourselves, and that's an enemy because I want to talk to all the nice people in the room right now because there's some stinkers in here, I'm sure, and you've already mastered this. But all the nice people, you need to have the privilege to say no. But now I, don't, don't get it licensed that I'm giving you not to go get in a life team. That is not what this is about. I'll preach about that next. This is just deciding what's the most impactful. That life team probably is a whole lot better than HBO and Cinemax and a lot of other things, just saying. 
But here's the deal. We, we, we talk ourselves into it, and we got our foot on the accelerator. And, and here's another thing I want you to know. Everything that you enjoy in life and all the things you enjoy, look, just because I might be gifted with something doesn't mean that you're supposed to be gifted with it. There are some people that think they enjoy and they've got every album out there, and so they want to sing on the front line every Sunday. What they need to do is not enjoy. They need to not join. They need to enjoy. And we need to pay them not to sing. No. <laughs> just kidding. You know I don't have anybody in mind. Nobody. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. This is, this is the practical layout of, of the things that the enemy will trip us up on. Everything. And then what happens is when we take on everything because then we got to be all things to all people. Then we're overwhelmed. And then we get bitter. And then we get angry. And then we, nobody sees, nobody appreciates what I'm doing. Randy don't appreciate it. Hannah don't appreciate it. None of my dogs at the ranch appreciate it. Nobody does. I just think I'll eat a worm. I, you know, and it's horrible. But this is the process we go through because we decide. Nobody did it for us, and this is what Randy always says. Oh, Jesus, help that man. This is what he says. Renee, you did it to yourself. Thank you, sweetheart. That was so profound. That was an rhema word from up above. But he always had, he says, you did it to yourself. Why did you do it? Well, you know what? I ain't going to do it. No more. I'm not going to fix you all those things. I bet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here we, the other thing, the other distraction is we don't know who we are. Some of us have been, I, I don't think this one appeared, is probably mine so much, but I've watched people over the years. They've been 10 to 15 different people in the season I've known them. And none of those personalities has worked for them. But here's what I want you to know. Deep, deep down inside of us, all of us have an inkling, have a feeling of what God created us to be. We know we might have been running from it. We might have been going here. But we know that we know that we know that we've been called to it. We know what we've been designed to be. And we're not going to settle. And we're not going to lose our heads. And we're not going to blame it on other people. We're just going to stop doing what we've been doing and change the way we're doing things. Amen. Now, here's how I want to illustrate that point. It came home to me so vividly as I was at my mother and dad's. My dad has taught me this my whole life because I've done it my whole life. He lived with three girls and we were emotional. So we did this our whole life. And then I married a man and he's non-emotional. I'm very emotional. And so I go by my feelings. Y'all don't tell me you don't do that, ladies, because y'all know you do. So when I go in the house and it's freezing cold, I would I jack the deal way up to the top because I want it to get fast. I want it to get warm. I learned a long time ago that, that I'm expending the energies. There's two things going on. I learned all this science. I'm brilliant. Here's the thing. There's kilowatts that I can find out about if I go out to the meter, how much power is being expended and, and how much energy is being expended and probably how much money that's costing us on our bill. But that doesn't show up on the thermometer. The thermometer is there to reveal the impact of what the power is doing. Are y'all with me? But yet, I'm not using it in the right way. Now, my parents, they're the exact same way, and my dad's forgotten what he taught me because immediately he's got mama up there jacking, and they push it up all the way to 90. And we are dying. We're sweating. We're taking off clothes. We're, you know, it's, it's, you know, exploiting, and it's all kind of stuff going on. We're dying in there. And my, my dad and mom's got it up on 89 and 90. And we're just about to. And then finally, dad has said, oh, it's hot in here. And then he'll send mother over there, and she turns it way back down on about 50. And so you know what happens? The motor 
is running. I mean, it is spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And if they don't watch it, which we found out this week, they've done it so many times, jerked it back and forth until they may have to have a brand spanking new air conditioning unit because they have burned it out. And that's what we do. We, we, I mean, however we can get there, that we don't understand that the thermostat is to control the impact. That's to let us know, and this is what else. It's to let us know not how fast it can get there. No, it's to let us know when we get there that, whoo, Boy, we're cold off now. We made it. We arrived. And that's what we don't do. That's something I want you to write down. You got you to gotta stop long enough to celebrate. You got to celebrate the wins that you do get. I haven't allowed myself to celebrate the wins, but God did. In Genesis, over and over, he would say, let there be light. And then, the end of the day, it is good. You know what it says? Good is equal to impact. If it's good, it's impactful. And here's what he's saying. No, I'm not finished yet. No, I've got more to do. There's still fish in the ocean. There's still a lot of things I'm going to create. But hey, it's good. Let's chill now. It is good. So let's take time to celebrate for a few minutes. Does anybody want to celebrate for a few minutes that God is good? I mean, we're just off to the next thing, bless God, and we don't even have time to celebrate. And somehow impact has to be celebrated. It has to be quantified. It has to be celebrated. It, uh, and this is what I said. The, uh, the thermostat is designed to determine the rate of impact. It does not tell me the kilowatts, does not tell me how many kilowatts. Nothing on the thermostat it tells me how many kilowatts I've used. But the thermostat was to tell me how much impact it has had on the room and the atmosphere of the room. We have a meter in our lives that lets us know what we're expending over and over and over. But if I measure the kilowatts and I don't have a thermostat in my life to measure the impact, I'll get a false reading every time of whether I've been effective or not. And so I believe God is causing us to put some practical things in our lives and stop along the way and give God glory and read the book that the uh, uh, No Complaint Rule. Read that one and see if you won't feel a little better when you get through. There's something about being impactful that has to stop and give God glory. So I'm, I, I, I thought about this, this whole scenario, and then I practically put it into a marriage scenario. And I, I, I realized that, you know, those people that give and give and give and give and give and give. Hold on. Don't look at your partner. Uh, in a marriage. But... You're married to somebody that doesn't communicate. So you don't ever know. You don't have a thermometer to know whether you've accomplished anything or whether you have reached and been impactful. And so sometimes what happens is you are working and expending yourself on the wrong things. There's a time where you got to let each other know what impacts you the most. You know, I was married to Randy Clark for years, and he ate, he ate ice cream every night. And so I kept feeding it to him every night. His dad did. His mom did. I kept feeding and it was bluebell, bluebell, bluebell to one night. It was only about 10 years ago when we first moved here. He said, Renee, I haven't wanted ice cream at night for about five or six years, but you still bring it in here. And I'm saying, oh, excuse me. <laughs> Won't be doing that anymore. But, hey, that's a simple thing. But there are more heart things. And here's what happens is, watch me. This is what happens. You expend and you expend and expend and expend. You don't know what you're expending for. And you're go doing it to the wrong thing. And then a, a, a man or woman will find someone else that will give them what makes them, impact, that impacts them. And then as they're walking out the door, you're saying, you went with her? Oh, my God. She, she, look, she don't even look good. Oh, Lord, yeah, no. Because she, she didn't have the things that you thought 
were impactful. She had what he thought was impactful. Y'all know that's good right there. I'm just saying that's practical, and you know it is. Bottom line is it's that way in every area of our life. Find out. Find out. Make sure they're measurable. What makes you? What, what am I doing that you like? Now, you can't do everything they like. I, you cannot jump on top of the roof because some of them want you to do that. You are not Wonder Woman. You are not Superman. But there are lots of things we can change to be more impactful, and we should do that. What can we do to have impact? Find out what we're good at, where we're gifted, where we're passionate. Find it out. And you have to have little moments of celebration. We have to learn to evaluate impact not just on the bottom line of economics, but social impact. Paul said it like this. We don't fight, and we don't just beat at the wind. He said, I don't want to be, and that's what I say all the time, I don't want to just be beaten at the wind. I'm going to read that scripture to you in a moment. But corporations found out something a few years ago that I just went online, got all their information, and I put it to work in my own life. And you use it because here's the thing. They would just do a cost analysis, but now they do four different things. They estimate the impact. If we do this, what will it do to that over there? If we do this, how much will it cost? What will it do? What will the impact be? How much revenue can we get back? How much can we get coming back to us in our way? They don't just do the cost analysis. So they figure out how much is going to cost us to get this result, and they do all their due diligence. Then they have planning impact, and that is through a strategy that I've been talking to you about. We're going to hit it hard here. We're going to hit it hard here. We're going to make an impact here. We're going to soften over here not go at it so hard, but over here, we're going to hit it hard. We're going to make an impact because we've got a planning. We're going to strategize. We have a desired result, and I love this. The more I delve into it, I saw it in a biblical way because actually you take the end, the result, you take the harvest you want and before you start planting the seed. y'all get me? Okay, so you take the end from the beginning. And so they plan their impact. They're planning their strategy around the results that they want. And thirdly, they monitor the impact. And this is where people get upset. But this is what we do. This is what we have to do. That's why we put things in place. That's why we as a team here have things in place to monitor what happened last week. In our staff meeting on Tuesday, we have a list of things. Now, what happened here? How much success? What did we do? Because we're measuring it. And then we're going to come back and monitor it because this is what just burns you up, like I said a while ago. You don't go back and monitor, so you find out that you were just pouring out love and you were pouring out energy, and they have long since moved on from there. That is not affecting them. And we're doing this thing over here with the church and this culture that doesn't even phase them. So you have to monitor your impact. Say, monitor your impact. Monitor it and evaluate it. There's a strategy for impact, and I can tell you prayer is definitely in the strategy line. But prayer without works is dead. Prayer alone will not give you impact. Oh, yeah, but Renee, it says effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's impact. Yeah, it also says prayer without works is dead. So we got to put them together. We've got to know that, yes, we pray. But then when we hear the voice of God, we act on it. We move on it. We move out on it because we want, we want anointing. We want God to show up. And we want the presence of God to be on everything we do. And God God is not just, just because we have anointing doesn't mean we have impact. This is what I know, what I've seen, what I've heard. I've seen some of the most unbelievably anointed people that nobody ever gets to see or hear or know anything about because they did not know how to use their thermometer. 
They had a lot of kilowatts. They had a lot of power. And I'm going to get to that because Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I tell you, that's one arena you ain't going to beat me in. You can beat me in other arenas, but I got that. I got that a long time ago, and I'm getting that. But here's what I know. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the kilowatts. He gave us the power so that we could become, so that we could do something, not just sit around and feel goosebumps, but so we could use it to have impact on a world that is dying and lost and hurting and needs healed. Is anybody here hearing me today? I, I really do want y'all to hear my heart. If it sounds like I'm too passionate, please don't think I'm preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I'm preaching to myself as well. But I want us to get this. Sometimes the problem in, in the, we already know where we, you, you have to know where you're going. Some people don't know where they're going. Some people don't know where they would be the most impactful. Then other people know, but they think they know they have too many places. They're going to be too impactful. And so they have got to learn how to expend the energy because what you're doing is you're starving another arena that desperately needs your impact by overkilling over here where you're making no impact. Is, is that true? Is that true? Okay, so this is where uh, 1 Corinthians 9.20 comes in for me. Anything I decided, anything that I care about, anybody I care about, anybody that anything I care about the impact being on them I've got to monitor the impact and then make decisions based on that so that I'll do the right thing and will do it at the right time not the wrong time so first Corinthians 9 20 Paul summed it up like this and to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win some Jews oh you got to be not bilingual multilingual you got to speak all kinds of languages and not just one. We, yes, pray in the Holy Spirit, but it is not always the most frugal at the moment to do that. There may be a Jewish. You might need to know how to speak to Jews. And then he said to those who are under the law, hey, there's some that are under the law, and then there's some who might be who are under the law but not unto Christ, and so not toward Christ. People that don't know Christ, we've got to be able to speak to them. We've got to have a language that will speak to them so we can impact them. We can't be telling them, thus saith the word of the thou thisest and thousest, because the King James says it like this. But we have to be able to be learned and be effective so that we can be impactful. Is our living in vain when it's all said and done? And then I love this part. The last part, he says, look, to the weak, I become as weak. What does that mean? Renee, you cannot intimidate people that may not have the years behind you. You can't, you have to be looking, go say, look, I made some mistakes along the way too, baby. You don't know how many mistakes I have made. And you got to be able to make yourself vulnerable to the weak so that they can become strong. So to the weak, you become weak. Does anybody feel, hear what I'm saying? So you, you, you just got to change some ways of thinking. There's some language that's got to change. And I do want to say this. Look, if you've been nagging about, I don't know, he hadn't closed, he hadn't put the lid down on the toilet for 15 years. Give it up. Sweet Jesus. You know, put something over the top, pray over it, you know, and be blessed. Keep going because you are not going to change it now. Only God can. But you're expending your energy on things that you're getting no impact. If you're still screaming the same things to those kids you've been screaming to them for the last 11 years, hush and change what you're saying. Say something else for God's sakes. Find another way because it ain't working. It's not being impactful. We've got to, oh, Jesus, Renee, hear this right now. I have told myself, look, and then you got those people. You, you know, those people that, whew, they say, you ask them if they know what they're supposed to be, and they say, ooh, I'm just going to, you know, what, where they're, where their impact should be, well, I just got to find a need. And, and it's so, look, you're going to always have needs. 
You're going to always have the poor with you. There's going to be needs everywhere. When we started Triumph Church, I am the emotional one. So I wanted every ministry. I wanted the motorcycle ministry. Woo, somebody come in on motorcycles. I ain't never been on one but twice in my life. And Jesus, I prayed the whole time in another language. I couldn't speak motorcycle. And I, I was just praying. But here... We got a motorcycle gang, not gang, a ministry going. And then, yeah, probably a gang. And then I want, oh, my Lord Jesus, somebody said something about the, the hurting, the, the, uh, the widows and the orphans. Oh, my goodness, I immediately started. We got a widow's ministry going and an orphan's ministry. And I got over here, and somebody said, well, I don't understand why y'all aren't doing anything for the HIV victims. So, bless God, we're going to get the HIV victims over here. And we got over here, and we got that going. And, le- and lo and behold, somebody came up, so help me God, on a Sunday afternoon, called me and said, I don't understand. My father has been in the nursing home for almost a month now, and y'all have not sent any ministry up there to I said, oh, my God, well, I'm up there by the night. They'll be there. All, we got we to gotta have the, oh, the nursing home ministry. And so every single one of them, and Randy kept saying, Renee, Renee, reel it in, honey. You can't start every ministry that everybody thinks that we're supposed to have. Because what we're going to do, and by the time we got to Triumph in Sugarland, we had a little bit of it figured out. These are the ones we're going to do. And look, here's the thing. You've got to buck up to a little bit of criticism. And you've got to agree with your adversary and say, oh, you're so right. We don't have that. But, woo, it's amazing down the street what they do. Let me give you the address. I'm serious because we can't do all things, but we're going to be impactful in what God calls this house to do. And you're going to be impactful. Can you say amen? I'm going to end right now. I want you to stand up on your feet. I I haven't finished. I I just got started, and I'm going to ask you, please, to give me one more shot at this because I got some more good stuff that I want to share with you. But I want to go back to my dad because it's the same thing I saw with Jesus. You know, Jesus told everybody he was born to die. He knew he was going to die, and that's what he was born. He came into this world to die. But in John, it tells us that, you know, he moved from place to place. In John 10, but if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father's in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him and kill him and escape, but he escaped out of their hand over and over. And the first thing you want to say is, Jesus, if you were born to die and you're going to die anyway, it's a favor. Let him do it. But no, no, no. This is what I can hear the master saying. No. It's not the time because I have an impact to make on the world. And if I don't go at the right place and the right time, because if I be lifted up from a cross, I'll draw all men unto me. I'm not supposed to die this way. I'm supposed to be here because my life is about impacting a lost world. That's what my father said to me. I'm not afraid to die, honey. I just want to make sure that my living is not in vain.